Hello, and welcome to episode two of Screams and Moans Returns. It's still the podcast about movies and sex, but not together, because that would be porn. This episode, I have with me Wayne. Hello. Hello, Megan. How the devil are you? It's so good to be back on your infamous Screams and Moans podcast. Oh, now we're infamous. Well, you're very infamous, <laughs> let's be fair. <laughs> How are you doing? Pretty good, pretty good. How about you? I uh, see that you just got married. I know, and another stupid decision in my life, but I'm enjoying it so far. <laughs> no, <laughs> I'll I tell you what, it, it's been a long time since we've actually sat down and had a proper conversation with each other like this. It's true, and it's, it's surprising. Um, we actually started, so... There's going to be some history lesson, I boys know. and girls. Well, hopefully you're not boys and girls, men and women. <laughs> I think since the last time they have turned into men and women, haven't they? It's been that long. It has been a while. Uh, I know last episode we talked a bit about that, just uh, adjusting to a new country. All of that definitely takes a, a bit out of a person, but um, I think in, in, I'm really glad to be back. Yeah, in the preamble, when we were just talking about each other, we realized that because it's been two years since we actually recorded with each other that there's been so many changes in both of our lives it's just been absolutely crazy i mean you've moved over to the uk you've got married i've gotten married i've moved twice since we've last spoke i've swapped jobs since we last spoke so it's just been a tumultuous time for both of us i think and i think we're only just starting to settle in yeah definitely uh i think it's a good feeling, though, when you get to that point that it's like, oh, yeah, things are finally settling in, things are starting to roll, and I think that's kind of where I went with that momentum and thought, you know, actually, it's time to kick this back off. And I know even on the original Screams and Moans, I mean, you were on the pilot episode, so we started early even back then. I'll tell you what, that'll be, that'll be something interesting to listen to, a mixture of your, our voices from the pilot episode to now. Is it that different? I don't know. Well, you are definitely that different, especially if you just said, is it that different? You've definitely been institutionalized <laughs> into the London scene. Oh, institutionalized. Mm. <laughs> With an S, and a Z. Well, <laughs> e either way, I, look, I've had a Prosecco. I can speak big words now. It's fine. <laughs> oh. Well, I'm on the rum and coke, so we'll see how much I can speak later on. <laughs> oh, this is going to be a proper master. I can feel it happening. <laughs> definitely well i kind of want to jump into this film because i feel like there's going to be a lot that we have to talk about actually once we get into it i i don't know what the hell you got me into and uh, the way i've had to watch it is a little bit different to how it should be watched but let's get into it all right we'll ease into this movie slowly because i feel like it is a bit of a slow burner but Essentially, the movie that we covered is Barbarian Sound Studio. This was done in 2012. It's from Film 4 and the UK Film Council, which I don't know about you, but I feel like we've covered a couple of their other films on previous Screams and Moans. And as I was watching this, I was thinking, you know, you could do an entire podcast, I think, just on their films. Well, the fact that Film 4 is now actually a channel over here, and they actually do some really good cinema, so... Some some films that you will actually know straight away, some films are art house, and they have a wide variety of genre of films. So you could have a deep dive into what they produce, and it will be a really interesting viewing on anything you would pick. Yeah, I was I was actually thinking that, and see, I'm, 
I've already I've got one podcast. I'm already starting to think about a second one, but I think I better take one at a time, maybe, and uh, see how that goes. Is that part of the screams or part of the moans, taking one at a time? <laughs> it depends. Anyway. Um, <laughs> and I didn't realize that until... Uh, so we got the DVD, and along with it, it had some extras, which included interviews with Peter Strickland. And I didn't realize, and I don't know if you would have either, but that he actually has never went to film school. Really? Yeah. So That's, a- that's actually shocking, because... The way he's actually done the whole film is actually really good. So to say that he's never actually been to film school is actually surprising to me. Yeah, because I felt visually um, and also just kind of the way that the film came together was really quite professional. So to hear that, you know, not that he hadn't done other films previous, that obviously he would have learned some things. And he did talk about how important it was to have a good crew and everyone that worked with him. But you know, you still would think that you have to know something about making film to really make something that, to the quality of this movie, I guess, I would say. It it just makes you wonder what type of history he had before this film. Because if he had a very limited background, then he's really knocked it out of the park. I mean, I know he had one other major film before this, but I don't know by major, I don't think it was, you know, a huge budget. Because he was saying this is the first time that they actually had a set built and he talked about you know how tedious and challenging it was to actually find and locate all of that antique audio equipment and especially equipment that still ran or at least could look like it functioned and things like that so yeah i thought i was quite impressed by that fact actually oh definitely he's done really good work on it yeah so for those of you who don't know or haven't heard of barbarian sound studio Uh, It's a movie about a Brit who goes to Italy to work as a sound producer. Uh, The clue might have been in sound studio, but, um, and just kind of what unfolds after that. And I feel I don't want to give too much away yet because I feel like we're going to talk a lot about the film uh, as we keep going. And I also want to say it is a mix of English and Italian. So if you don't like subtitles, (laughs) this and don't like reading subtitles, this is probably not a film for you. So what I have to add to that is the way I watched it, I didn't see any subtitles whatsoever, so I was pure Italian. So if I've missed anything on subtitles, then I do apologize in advance, but obviously I'm going to try and keep as much as knowledge as I can for you without having the Italian. <laughs> I did not realize that, but uh, this should be good, because I think it will hopefully fill in some of the gaps for you uh but it might be a bit more fun when we start talking about what the fuck is this movie about quite possibly (laughs) so speaking of the film uh what were some of your first impressions uh when you started watching barbarian sound studio so when you first asked me to watch this and bearing in mind you only asked me like really recently because obviously someone else wasn't able to do this um I actually went to watch the trailer first so that I knew, so I kind of had an inkling of what it was about. And even the trailer was a complete head fuck. And it looks like the film is meant to be a head fuck on its own. But when I start actually watching the film and noticing certain nuances, um, it actually 
becomes, like you said earlier, a bit more of a slow burn psychological film. But because of that, it actually holds your attention that little bit better because you're starting to try and piece together what's going on and what agendas are where and what kind of the undertone of the whole film is. Yeah, that's very true. Um, because I think even in the end, you don't really know. Like You can kind of guess, maybe, what's going on, but it doesn't really come to a conclusion like other, well, I shouldn't say like other films because I feel a lot of the psychological films, um, the great thing about them is that they they let your own mind run with what might be happening. And I think that's a good case in this film as well because it doesn't give you all the answers. It, and I think that's one of the one of the actual systems that works so well with this film. It only gives you certain clues as to what's going on, but doesn't give you all the answers it actually lets you try and paint your own picture about the situation itself yeah and now that you're saying that it actually makes me think as well i wonder if that's why the set was so simple and i mean simple meaning this is the second or third time i've watched it and i actually made note and essentially it's the studio room it's his room attached to that studio room in a corridor and that's it you know so everything takes place in a very small area um and so i think yeah you get little bits here and there but because you don't see what happens outside of that world you're kind of left guessing what it's, else is going on it's almost like the film actually encases you in the same small in confined space that they've put the main character as well so you can actually get that same feeling of institutionalization hopelessness that the character ends up going through as well yeah that you can't really escape really yeah yeah and i think it kind of reminds me i don't know if you've ever seen pontypool i've heard of it but i've never seen it yeah so it, it's a zombie flick but not in the traditional sense okay. um and I have covered it before. I might have to re-release some classic Screams and Moans talking about all this stuff. But um, it's similar in the sense that it's just all one very close area. And, and it does add to that kind of closeness and feel um, that you can't really escape as well. And yeah, I mean, other than that, I just felt, again, if I had to describe this film in three words, I would say random, bizarre, and aggressive. Uh, I don't know if you felt that as well, but the colors, the sounds, they're almost offending you and coming after you. Like, that makes me sound quite paranoid. But it I, is a quite forward film. Yeah, I can definitely see the randomness and the bizarreness. And looking at near the end of the film, the aggressiveness that they actually put on you, they actually visualize it a bit more near the end of the film, which I'll talk about later on. But yeah, I can certainly see how it's more, not so much in your face, but in your ears, which actually makes your consciousness try to think about what's going on and doesn't even do it as much justice as the film could do. Mm, that's so interesting. Again, again it's, it's playing on your own mind and making you try and piece together what's going on that he's actually seeing in person. Yeah, and I think, I don't know, a combination of the set 
the fact that your mind can run, that you're piecing everything together and trying to make sense of it really adds to that creepiness factor. And I mean, it is a horror movie, you know, going into it that it's a horror movie, but it's not, I would say it's not very traditional. I was going to say it's it's more of an abject horror where it's, it's not so much as a in your face type of horror but it's more of an unsettling horror it's it's meant to unnerve you and play into your personal fears and one of the biggest fears is the fear of the unknown and not just audio clues and audio screams not knowing what's actually what's actually going on without seeing it is one of those things that do tend to unnerve people so i think that's one of the key factors that this film uses so well yeah i think so and then you know it's those random noises and then it's even like you said it's that unknown so he's you know come to another country from england and you know you come to a job people are yelling it's loud things are going on um and then the person that you're working with just turns to you and says don't be afraid like who who starts a job that's not really how you want to start a job especially one that you'll never get paid for uh <laughs> it's there's, just there's someone a, telling you don't be afraid yeah there's a really good line by the actual director near the near, in the middle of the film where um it's it's not so much what he says it's the wording that he uses that makes it that much darker so mm. when it's just after he he's had a bit of a breakdown and said he wants to quit and he wants to go home and everything like that and the do- the actual director turns to him and says where is it it's uh, something like francesco tells me you are trying to escape not not trying to go home trying to quit trying to escape yeah and it gives it that extra institutionalization yeah it's it's literally i mean these guys are assholes anyway throughout the whole film so whether or not you could read the English subtitles, <laughs> <laughs> they're not good men. Uh, <laughs> but but it's the fact, yeah, it's controlling. They're limiting. They, you know, they use all these kind of underhanded and also abusive tactics to kind of get Gilroy and the women that work on the film to do what they want. Um, and it does just make you some of their methods just make you really really queasy even even in the opening bit where just after the titles you've he's met the assistant and he's immediately shown what he's working on and he's expecting an equestrian film and it's something completely different and you just see you just hear noises and the sound of the waterman is squelching as if someone's being bludgeoned it just completely takes him off guard straight away because he thought he's been brought in for one thing and it starts out completely different. Yeah. So he just doesn't know what to expect from there. I was going to say, then later in the film, you get to see the previous stuff that he's worked on as kind of, you know, pulling things back and, and showing. And it's this, you know, beautiful video footage of Box Hill, which is actually not that far from where I live. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I saw that. And then the place where they put that was for me a little bit jarring but i can see why they did it but at the we'll talk about it in a bit but at the point where they done that i felt that was a little bit jarring because it was just like a complete turnaround from where the film was going at that point 
Yeah, maybe it's that whole, you know, when you put a really happy sound or song behind a really disturbing film image. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I do love those, actually, where they do that, uh, but it does make it all the more disturbing. I think, I think that's one of the things this, so this film really gets right, is that just slow, disturbing factor of everything that's going on. Yeah, definitely. So... Now that we're kind of into the film, what kind of other things uh, did you notice when you were watching this film? I think one of the things that I really noticed was, like we talked about earlier, the sense of the unknown is just adds to the tone and the unease of the whole film. So even when he's pushed about different places to try and get his money back from the flight, even when, like, he's not knowing what's being said between people originally the fact that he's the only english person in the whole place instantly feeling that out of place it gives that uneasiness to the whole situation to begin with it it takes like days before he actually meets the director and even when he meets the director and says uh i've never worked on a horror film before that that instantly turns the whole situation because he says the director says never call my film a horror film again so you can you can sense there's just little things that slowly add to the whole undertone of unease going on throughout the film that makes it just that little bit more engaging yeah no i agree and oh i'm so tempted to jump to close closer to the end but i only jump to the middle um <laughs> uh but when one of the voice artists actually uh is talking to Gildroy and she's saying don't you ever question why they brought you here like look at this that... film yeah i yeah cuz she says are you not curious as to why they hired him because it almost seems like there's a concern for him at that point yeah and her safety and his safety and and like you said i think it's that slowly building up of of creepiness <laughs> to I, but I don't know a better word but yeah that but that one scene brings my favorite insult ever which I now have to bring into my daily life what because she soon leaves that room and the assistant turns around to Gildor and says be careful of that girl there's poison in those tits of hers <laughs> <laughs> I thought yes that is a beautiful line. I have to use that. That is now my favorite thing. Do you There's need a... poison in that tits of hers? <laughs> I was going to say you just need a new Instagram called Poison Tits or something. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Ladies, here are my poison tits. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to That's my that's the name of my new metal band, Poison Tits. That's right. <laughs> it's what happened when when poison gets really really old. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, will you please welcome to the stage, Poison Tits! (laughs) 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 Oh, that's a beautiful thing. We need someone to make a label, need someone to make a emblem for Poison Tits. Absolutely, like one of those fake album covers. Oh, absolutely, we need that. That would be amazing. (laughs) Internet, go! (laughs) By the time we're done with this episode, it will have appeared. No, oh, um, just kidding. <laughs> if only. So I was working on it as we speak. Yes, they're reading our minds. <laughs> uh, 
Anyway, back to the film? Back to the film. Um, speaking about how you can get consumed in things, uh, including side conversations. But um, yeah, I think one of the points for me also that I think it really resonated because sometimes I feel like when I'm editing the podcast or listening for clips to use uh, in a skit as part of the podcast and just kind of putting that together, you can get really, really consumed in doing that audio editing and just listening and you get so hyper-focused on the performance of it and what you're doing that you get lost in it. And I felt we saw that a lot with Gildroy in this film as well. I totally agree. Especially when you start when especially when he's uh, stabbing the lettuce heads you the slowly morph and you can see the slow determination that he's getting on his face that he's trying to get that perfect sound but at the same time he's losing himself more because of it so it's it's almost like he's turning into whatever is meant to be on that screen so he's kind of becoming the visual to the noises I think that's a really, really good point, though. And I guess, I mean, I'd somewhat caught that, but the way that you described it is a bit more accurate to how I felt when I was watching the film. And the the other point of that is when he's ripping the stalks off the vegetables, because I think that's meant to be like a torture scene where someone's ripping hair off a blonde woman. Yes. Um, but at the same time, you can see the the anger and aggression in his face as he's doing it every time just to try and get that right noise and trying to do it on time as well and even when he's watching it he doesn't understand exactly what's going on in the film that he's watching but he's so committed that he's doing it with such passion and anger that again he's just losing himself to his work see and that's interesting because I think at different points, I almost see it in terms of him being almost poisoned himself, meaning the disturbing nature and the dark side of the film is kind of getting the better of him. And that actually, when he's kind of making some of those noises with the different vegetables, uh, (laughs) which I'm sure we'll get to later, but, um, you know, when he's doing that, sometimes I see the aggression and the frustration but sometimes I also see kind of that he's also tortured you know because he's seeing this imagery on the film that you know we don't even ever get to see except for a little snippet at the end but yet he's having to create these noises of really grotesque things that he's just not comfortable actually doing do you know what I kind of refer to it kind of as mind controlling because if you think about all the visuals of where people have been tortured by having their eyes like peeled uh stapled wide open or anything like that having to watch like propaganda to try and brainwash people into their state of mind it's kind of like that in a bit of a way but he's doing it to himself a little bit he's having to subject himself to whatever's on the screen but he's also having to do it to himself because he's trying to get that perfect noise, that perfect sound for the actual film, because all he's doing in his own head is doing his job. But because it's consuming him as you go in through the film, he's losing his own self because of it. Mm. Yeah. I think the film is really, really good that way. 
And and I think as well, even our conversation about it, it kind of highlights that I'm going to say where your mental state is or, you know, not good or bad, but just kind of the way that your brain works is going to interpret the film a little bit differently than each other. And the way I felt as well, about halfway through the film, you start to realize that you're sharing the same set of uh, the same kind of mindset to a point because you don't know what's going on, but you can't really tell how far gone Gilderoy is until a little bit later on that you can actually see that he's, he's pretty much gone because the stresses are getting there. He's missing his cues. He's actually losing his focus properly and not being able to perform as he would want to. Yeah. And you can definitely see that even you know, in terms of the visuals and just the audio, like there's more frustration. The people that he's working for seem to be getting more impatient and almost, um, oh, I don't remember the guy's name, but that runs the machine gets quite angry with him and, you know, is kind of slamming around just like, don't fuck with my machine. You know, that's mine. Yeah, just <laughs> touching the fader. Yeah, just touching the fader. It actually snaps at him for it. It's just like they're belittling him for just trying to do his job. Yeah. And then I feel like, just as you said, basically the film starts to kind of follow his mental state. So, you know, you get to a point where as it starts to get to the end, where you start to blend and you're not, even, I don't know about you, but even myself, I started to go, wait, so which part of this is the film that he's working on and which part of this is part of his own imagination or madness? It's Exactly. It almost seems like the visuals and the audios that you're having start to run in parallel to his own mental state. One of the other things that this film done really well was sometimes there are points where you just have the voiceover artist doing their thing. So, and one of my favorite bits and one that did, did really make me laugh was the guy who coming in doing the troll noises. It was almost like throat singing. <laughs> it, it, it was actually that absurd when he done it. But then at the same time, he starts bringing the fader up to bring the music in. And then as they blend together it becomes that little bit extra creepy and you can sense where the audio is meant to be going and it it actually unnerves you as well yeah i think that's really really good though because i know it sounds like we're just like wanking over this film but the um, <laughs> the, the use of sound though is really really good and to me as well some of the voice artists especially the ones that play different monsters I was like quite fucking impressed with what they could do with their voice. Oh, of course. You know, and it kind of reminds you that behind these images that we watch when we go to watch a film, there are all of these people actually doing these same things. I'm sure, you know, nowadays it's a bit different, but you still have to get the source of that noise from something real. That makes sense. Yeah, because people still have to put in an effort to make that good scream. So it is going to take a toll on them as well. So you can see other people getting affected by the work they're doing. But with you're following Gilderoy's path, you can see it's actually changing him to a point. Yeah, you definitely do see that. And I was going to say, speaking of screaming... um. <laughs> 
I mean, I know it's for a really dark reason, but when the one woman comes in and she just says to him, I just need to scream. Oh, Sylvia. Sylvia. Yeah. The way they done that visually and then to have the exposition afterwards, I think that was really well done as well. It it was really twisted things. <laughs> yeah, because she, all she needs to say is, I just need to scream. She does her scream and then you actually understand her backstory from there and why she has to have that release and it's it's not just the screen that she needs to release but the confession of what santini has been doing to her yeah and it it does just get so so dark and a bit more serious i think than the rest of the film as well and again that's another thing that changes gilderoy as well because he then learns of this dark side of Santini. So he becomes a little bit more twisted and determined as well. Because he just wants to try and get this done so he can escape. Yeah. <laughs> or try to escape, as they said. Try to escape. <laughs> but yeah, and then like you said, it really does start to kind of get twisted and mixed and everything else. And... I think for me, the part where I realized really how far, I almost want to say we had gone, not just Gilderoy had gone, um, was then the great use of actually that home invasion scene. Oh, absolutely. Because there's literally no audio whatsoever after he says, I will call the police and just opens up the door. But when he opens up the door, I can't remember what happens. It's so you see... Yeah, so I was going to say, I feel like, I I almost have to say spoiler alert um, at this point. (laughs) Not that you'll ever know what was going on anyway, but you're right, it's silence. And then when he opens the door, you actually see on the screen the scene that you had just watched, where someone had, you know, buzzed his door and was knocking and was trying to come in and trying to actually break in. And it's on the scene in front of him, even though I almost want to say allegedly just happened. Because at that point you go, wait a minute, how, how is that possible? Even though every scene in his own bedroom was always shot from the perspective of someone who would have been standing just outside the window. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't I don't know how to take that scene, really. <laughs> yeah, because... When, when you start seeing that scene played back, he's actually speaking Italian. It's been dubbed over in Italian. And when you actually see him watching that scene on the screen, you realize that that's actually the first scene in the film when he's actually watching something on the screen and people are squashing watermelons next to him. It's that part of the film, but he's actually you can actually now see the screen side of it. That's what... You want to know what? I'd not actually put those two things together. Which is amazing. (laughs) So thank you. (laughs) I kind of went, wait a minute, but now we're back with him watching the scene. What's going on? And I almost felt like, in a symbolic way, the the sound guy handing him the watermelon was was almost like giving him a bite of the forbidden fruit or something. Pretty much, yeah. Definitely. There there is one scene that I really liked because it was almost like his... um, here's johnny moment when you see the women being screen tested at about 55 minutes in 
Um, you see all the women just turning around, having their screenshots. But you can see Gilderoy just sat in the corner, just slowly wrapping wire together. But you see him actually pull it tight as if he's like ready to put it around someone's throat. Yeah, he turns quite aggressive looking at that point. Yeah, it, it, it reminds me a little bit of Jack Nicholson in The Shining, you know? Just mm. just just stood there, just sat there looking dead-eyed, but doing something really sinister. Or what it feels really sinister. Yeah. Yeah, it's completely different to how we've been sold about his character the whole rest yeah. of the film. It's it's definitely you can definitely see it. It's a different Gilroy to the start of the film. Yeah, something something had changed. Yeah, and the one that really encapsulated that at the end of the, near the end of the film is when obviously Sylvia had left the production from obviously because of the screen section and had actually sabotaged everything, so they had to get someone to replace her scream. But she couldn't do it as well. So what Gilderoy did was actually feed back some ear-piercing sounds into her, almost to try and punish her, to try and actually get that natural scream, to get that perfect scream. Yeah, I thought that was really disturbing because that scene, it starts out with them telling him, you know, to go do something about it, to make her scream. And... It makes him quite timid almost, you know, walking over there. He didn't really want to do it. But then when he comes back, he's like, oh, this is going to be easier. And it's even worse because we all, I think on some level, on some psychological level, know how unnerving it is to have some sound that you, you don't have any control over. Yeah. And especially that was so piercing. And and the fact that you see him do it and his face is showing no remorse or no emotion whatsoever. It's just dead. Yeah. And he, he, even that prolonged stare into the camera, there is no emotion until you can almost see the tears coming from his right eye. And that's when another power cut happens. So you don't know if he is actually feeling remorse for his actions or anything like that. Yeah. I think it's good that way, this film. <laughs> they, they've really, the, with the minimalist things that they've had to use, they've not they've done everything they can for it. They've really did, done use their tools well. Definitely. So I think we're probably at a good point because this film was so enigmatic in a way. <laughs> Is that even how you say that word? It, no, um, it's the right way to say that word. <laughs> Well, you know, language is changing. Um, <laughs> well, like, your, your your accent is changing, let's be fair. <laughs> it'll, it would be interesting, actually, to go back, because I don't, you know, obviously I don't hear it. Anyway, I should get back to the movie. So there's different themes or repetitions that I saw throughout the film. And so I thought I might bounce some of these off you and see you know, what your opinion was in terms of kind of what is the meaning of all of this. And the first one of these is all the shots of rotting fruit, screaming veg. I mean, I never knew how much fruit and veg was involved in horror films. Well, 
I mean Santini films. <laughs> but <laughs> but you know, I was trying to put together I mean obviously visually it was quite focused and and there must have been a reason but I don't think you know maybe I was watching it a bit casually or something but that I picked up on you know why that was quite possibly because obviously a, a lot of fruit and vegetables were used to actually make some of the more uh, meaty noises let's say so obviously like the watermelon sounded like a bludgeoning of the skull and stuff like that um, and obviously as you get further into the film the produce is going from fresh to decayed so that's almost like a symbolic version of how uh, Gilderoy's mind is working because obviously mm. with, with the watermelon suddenly his first opinion of what the scene is is squashed because it's something completely different to what he was expecting. And then as he's slowly wor- working through the film, the his mind is slowly being decayed of because of all the screams and all the constant trying to get everything perfect. So his, his mind is being rotted out. I, I'm assuming that's what that could be the case. Yeah, and I suppose, you know, you're right. It's that constant bombardment as well. And then... You know, at the time of struggle uh, between Gilderoy, you know, and his employers as well, there's kind of that scene where it's supposed to be the drowning of some witches. Oh, the water scene. Yeah. Yeah, the water scene. You know, so that could be kind of his struggle as well then, if you look at that. Yeah, because he's slowly drowning in his work and he doesn't know how to survive it. Absolutely. See? See, I'm glad we talked about this. <laughs> I, I think it needs more than one mind to try and dissect it. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's why it's always good to talk about film, I think. That's why it's always interesting, because I think everyone notices something different as they kind of go through. It, 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 yeah, it, like, like the audio clues are meant to be giving you your own impression of what's going on. It is your own interpretation of what you think the film is leading towards, really. Mm. Yeah, it really is. And obviously our imaginations run in different ways and it is the brain, I feel like, in this movie trying to keep up and put all the different various pieces because they do kind of chunk it up into little bits that you then have to piece together and try to figure out, you know, as a whole what what's going on. Yeah, and I, I think when you see the flashing light of Silencio, I think that's a cue to let you know that it's about to get worse. Oh. Because obviously the Silencio signs come either just before they're about to record like the troll or the witch or stuff like that, or whether they're about to record some really dark audio. And you can see that that's going to be a step deeper into the rabbit hole. Hmm. That makes sense because also, like you said, there's either power cuts or the silencio as well um, after kind of a climatic scene. So it kind of leaves you on an edge. Then all of a sudden it's like silencio. <laughs> like, shut yeah. up. Yeah, and absolutely. And again, like I said earlier, every, every time you see a voiceover artist doing something, just that noise, you don't know what it's going to why it's going to refer to at all but then he slowly fades up the creepy music and you can feel just feel what's going to be part of that 
and then to add to that the visual of the actual soundboard of Louisa falls and dies and stuff like that so you can actually see where it's meant to be placed i liked that actually the the cues but i think you know they did a really good job there because it does set the scene for you in your own mind as well absolutely and now i won't say i was watching a hooky version because it was on youtube but the one thing that i couldn't read properly because of the way i was watching it was the letters okay so you might have to explain that bit to me that's interesting because I'd actually made note about these because this was also one of the things that I think the state of the letters kind of mimic where Gilderoy is. So when he first arrives, it's this lovely long letter from his mum and it's all about, you know, oh, I miss you. I hope you've had a good flight. Everything is blooming and gorgeous here and... Just everything is really happy, and it's like, oh, love, mum. Then the next one is, well, I hope everything is going all right. You've got some money now from his previous work in the UK, which obviously he wasn't being paid uh, for the film he was working on in Italy. Um, But it it starts to, you know, even the tone in the mum's letter starts to get a little bit dimmer, a little bit dimmer. Till it gets to the point about the sudden death of some animals and she's now not even saying like love mum it's just mum i think wasn't that just after where they use the film burn to go into that little travel documentary thing because yeah, so that's the... that's where you can actually sense that the letters are becoming just as dire as his own mindset was yeah yeah, so that's where I felt actually it went really well together because it did, you know, again, it was another way of showing how things were happening. And then when the voice artist recites those lines back to him yes, that are supposed to be the letter from his mom, that, again, blurs that to say, wait, are those really letters from his mom? <laughs> what is real? Yeah, what is real? So I I thought that was really good. It, it definitely spoke to the actual director that he could put those type of cues to run a parallel to the mindset of Gilderoy and actually culminate together. Yeah, and to not have it become too much. Because, you know, in hearing us talk about it, you might go, geez, how did you guys not fucking get that, like, all of these things were happening for specific reasons and perhaps you know I apologize to anyone if we've now ruined that for you but I feel that when you're watching it it's not an obviously apparent thing and again we're just making our best guess it's, it's at kind of what it means it's one of those cues that are done so subtly but when you look back at it you realize oh that actually goes with that and that goes with that but you still left wondering what's what kind of actually happened to trigger certain key points and you still aren't you have an idea of where it started but you don't really know no if that makes sense yeah exactly you, you you can see what the triggers were but you can't tell when the gun was fired no no so with that um kind of what are your final thoughts about the film so 
for me overall, it's not something I would normally look at just because of the name, but it was a good psychological horror film that seems to be weird and uh, art housey on the surface, but when you actually get into it, it's very nuanced and it really plays into your imagination by not giving you the visuals of any of the scenes that he's putting the sound to. And for me personally, Toby Jones was really good throughout the whole film. He he really made that film what it is. Um, it did lose me a bit near the end because of that jarring film burn into that travel piece. But again, that might have been because of the way I was watching it. But if you do get a chance, give it a look. If you'd like something that's a little bit off the radar, this could be a film that you would want to enjoy because it's not something that you would instantly look at. So, yeah, if you can get a chance, give it a shot. And I think that's what a lot of times I try to do with Screams and Moans is actually introduce people to films that they might not have ever thought about or maybe not even heard of. Uh, I do recognize if you're a listener in the US, it might be a bit harder to find, but I know you can order the DVD on, I don't want to give certain sites uh, (laughs) any commercial advertising. Um, but someplace that you probably buy a lot of films from. Google it, bitch. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> but yeah, I think this is the kind of film I really love because I like things that are a bit weird. I like films that are dark, but not necessarily, you know, it's more psychological than the the blood and gore. I mean, I can do blood and gore, it's exciting. It's a different kind of film. But what really intrigues me is kind of this kind of film. Yeah, the ones that actually play into your mind rather than your actual go for the um, horror tropes of stabbing someone and blood and guts everywhere. It's, it's the ones that play on your thoughts and make you think more than you should be doing. Yeah, and sometimes, unfortunately, it's ones that you wish you could turn off then later. Not not this one, but just saying with the the psychological kind of horror, but it's almost like a crossword puzzle for a film. You can get some clues, you can get some answers, but there's gonna be the harder ones that you're never gonna be able to understand or figure out until someone else helps you. <laughs> exactly. Or you probably don't wanna know. No. <laughs> Some, sometimes In film's it's better case. to leave it open. That's the thing. <laughs> Some, sometimes the better answers are the ones left unanswered. Well, the better questions are the ones left unanswered. There we go. So that's Barbarian Sound Studio. But we haven't finished yet. <laughs> we haven't. There's still a second half that's coming up soon. Talkative people. Oh no. <laughs> Speaking of talkative people, we should probably get talking about the second half. Oh my god, I've been waiting for this. <laughs> Do you like the new format? I, I'm really enjoying it actually. It's this nice change of pace because there's no yeah, it, you just don't know what to what questions are gonna come out of the second half and it's just gonna make it so random and so good. What I kind of wanted to do is have, you know, some of the questions be the same or similar, but then also have kind of a, 
you know, random one where obviously once we're you're done answering questions, you get to ask a question for my next guest. So, <laughs> oh, that could be weird. Yeah. So, so well, you might know some of them. Uh, you won't know all of them. And as well, for people who were on the Screams and Moans Facebook page, uh, if you're not, obviously, you can uh, look it up and like the podcast and uh, follow what we're up to. I had a poll this week because the, the first episode, like you do when you're starting out again, you realize maybe one of your questions is really fucking weird. <laughs> <laughs> like in a drunken moment, you thought it was really funny. Uh <laughs> But maybe it's not as funny as you think it is, even though I'm laughing now. Um, <laughs> but, it's not but, as know, funny, but it's that funny I can't get through my sentence. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, evidently, if you were having sex outside, what animal would you want to watch you is not a question that probably <laughs> a lot of people <laughs> <laughs> It might be going down that dark path again that we were talking about earlier. Yeah, and I, I would totally want a giraffe to watch me. <laughs> From a distance. Oh no, right up close. <laughs> Obviously with the length of the neck, his body will be at a distance, but I want him up close and watching. Just so I can stroke him and say there, there. <laughs> <laughs> See? Bonus bonus answers for my listeners this week. <laughs> See, we're a talkative peoples exactly um so let's get to the actual questions uh and the first one is what is your favorite flavor of lube lube oh is it is it bad that i've never actually used lube is lube really a thing a necessary thing uh i think it is um i don't just mean like oh i definitely need it um but meaning <laughs> that made it awkward <laughs> uh <laughs> But meaning, I think, you know, it's a two-way street in terms of both people have to be lubricated and ready to go. But it's interesting you say that because actually over on my Instagram this week for Screams and Moans Returns, I posted a picture of a chat I had after the last episode. And one of my friends, in male friends in the UK actually said, you know, lube is a quite American thing. And he said, I don't think you're going to get a lot of Brits that um, use lube, which I thought was really, really interesting. I mean, I realized some of it is the whole circumcision, non-circumcision thing. But I was like, yeah, but women don't have different vaginas, if that no, makes I, sense. I, yeah, it does make a bit of sense. But then if you're warming them up rightly, you wouldn't need a lot of lube, I don't think. But... All I will say is, for me personally, I've never used it, but there is a story where I've come a cropper because of it, but I'm going to tell you that off air rather than on air, because <laughs> I'm not as stupid to put that on air. But with that being said, obviously, the question has come across favorite flavor of lube. I don't tend to eat it, so I don't tend to taste it, but uh, let's go cherry. All right. Good, good, solid choice. Because then, then when she creams and she comes and it's all over my cock, she's my cherry pie. So, and now I've got warrant in my head, you <laughs> asshole. You're more than welcome. <laughs> uh, and the question that is replacing the outdoor sex question 
again, we had a poll over on the Facebook page and 83% of fans voted for if you could only have oral, vaginal, or anal for the rest of your life, which would you choose? Well, because I don't have a vaginal, I can't really receive vaginal. Um, <laughs> no, but you could uh, give. Oh, I, I don't give. Um, on, the, on the tangent to this one, is it bad that I have never come from oral sex? Mm. I, I, as I, I go, mm, as if that's... <laughs> and I know in fairness, some people have used that as a line, but I am generally one of the, the exceptions to the rule. I've generally never come from oral sex. I don't, I don't think it makes you bad. I think there's definitely a group of people out there that have not ever come from oral sex. It, it makes me a challenge. <laughs> <laughs> well, now your wife has years and years to perfect that challenge. Or more of a time to say, no, not tonight. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so, Abel has honestly never appealed to me. Oral... <sighs> maybe but I don't know but if if I could smash that ass if, if, if I can give her a good shagging I'll give her a good shagging so if, if it's if I had to be picking one it would have to be the vaginal all right or, or the vaginal <laughs> whichever whichever how we're pronouncing it vagina <laughs> vag minge <laughs> clunge <Badge. laughs> cunt <laughs> God say you can't. You can't. You know I can't say that right. I know, but I um, when you try. <laughs> I always aim to please. Uh, so, uh, the next question: What do you cook your one night stand the next morning? I oh, if I were to, I know I've had a few, because in fairness, I. With the jobs I used to do, this faces had more ass than it should be allowed. Um, oh, what would I cook her? Maybe just give her a bit of toast and the taxi number. <laughs> <laughs> because if if it's a one night stand, you're not going to be wanting to give, cook him anything in the morning. You're wanting them out the door. Mm. That, that would be my thought on it. Fair enough. So far, I've I've not had any. Any cookers so far? <laughs> I mean, my last guest. <laughs> I mean, she'd take them out for breakfast, so maybe, maybe it would turn from one night stand to to not one night stand. That's but... the thing. Where where is the line in the sand from one night stand to I'm gonna shag you later on down the line? Mm. But if you're gonna take them out, you take them out with a sawn off shotgun. <laughs> oh. Ouch! <laughs> I know. Me You're getting out. back into the film, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so now this isn't lube, um, but I guess it could be fairly related. But what condiment would you cover your partner in? Brown sauce. Ooh, <laughs> loves a bit of spicy sauce. Ooh. <laughs> now is it is it daddy's sauce or <laughs> daddy? <laughs> Uh, that's so. I I never heard of that brand until I started talking to some Northerners. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, Daddy's sauce is actually a really nice sauce. So you'd lick Daddy's sauce off, and then you cover in Daddy's sauce. That would be a good way of putting it. 
And, you know I had to go there, right? Yeah, and, and you know that's an image you're never going to get out of your head for the rest of the evening. Especially brown sauce. It's the... Yeah. I mean, I like brown sauce. But yeah, that's definitely the an I- image now. I, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's the iconography. That's that's the worrying thing about it. Because if you're going to have red sauce, it's got to be blood. If it's brown sauce, you're going to think the worst. Chocolate mm. isn't a condiment. Well, it could be. No. <laughs> <laughs> If if used correctly, yes, it would be. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and I feel like uh, for my American listeners who have no fucking clue what brown sauce is or what the fuck we're talking about, um, don't don't close... don't don't even reference it because if they have no idea at all, they're hearing the words of brown sauce. Just let their imaginations run wild. You're such a bastard. Too fucking right. <laughs> this is why we're friends. <laughs> fine i will leave it you heard it he wanted you to be confused so I, I don't blame me correct and now it's time for the last question for you which is from melissa from the last episode hello Melissa um, from the last episode <laughs> is that like from jenny jenny <laughs> jenny from the block yeah <laughs> yes melissa from the last episode <laughs> um what new things have you learned about sex from the internet? So her example was um, like furries, right? If if it wasn't for the internet, yeah, no, that's, she that's, would have that's, never. That's yeah. fair. As uh, a lot of like urban dictionary sex terms, I may have not known about ahead of time. Uh, certainly, the blue waffle is a thing that I never would have known about before the internet. Uh, <laughs> Certainly two two girls, one cup is definitely a certain thing that I wouldn't have known about ahead of time and I now wish I never did. Um <laughs> Sorry, I'm I'm laughing because I'm like, could you imagine like doing some kind of old school photoshopping and like taking a printed out picture of that and trying to walk around to people and be like, Hey mate, check this out <laughs> <laughs> For some reason I was just picturing, you know, pre internet. Oh dude. I genuinely filmed my friend's reaction because she, we were speaking about stuff like that and I mentioned the words blue waffle and she said, I've heard about it, but I never know what it is. And straight away, I got her phone, told her to start Googling it and then I just filmed her reaction. I was like, oh, ugh, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> just like the horror of her realizing what a blue waffle actually is. It's just think of beauty. <laughs> So now, the fun part, what is your question for my next guest? So I had a thought between two different ones. One of them was, can I see your fucking tits? <laughs> but but then if I had a man, it would just be a bit weird. So the one I ended up deciding on was, if you were invited to be a star in a porn film, going back to porn, what type of porn would you want to be in and who would be your co-star or co-stars? Because it could be anywhere. Oh. It could be uh, MILF. It could be uh, I'm the pizza delivery guy. It could be anything like that. So obviously because of the myriad of different genres of porn that you can have, because of all those different types of porn that are available, you just don't know. that it's, There's so many different realms you can go down. So yeah, that'll get him, that'll get him thinking. All right. Well, that's a good one. So yeah, I will definitely note that one down and it'll be in the show notes. So, you know, if my next guest takes a look, they can have a little preview. If not, 
It'll be a little surprise at the end of the show. And surprise! I'll, and I'll apologise in advance for it. <laughs> so, I don't know if you want my listeners to find you, um, but if you would like to hear from them, or if they would like to talk to you, uh, where could they do that? I think the best place to try and avoid me is probably on Twitter, which is at CrunchyBaglin. So that's C-R-U-N-C-H-I-E-B-A-G-L-I-N. Perfect. And if you want to find me, Screams and Moans Returns is on Instagram, uh, Screams and Moans Returns. And we also have a Facebook page as well. So both of those get updated regularly. We do try to, you know, get a bit more interactive, uh, put some polls out there. Maybe we'll try a few different things. Uh, no porn. It's going to be a hard and fast rule. Uh, but... I'm sorry, you can't just say the words no porn and then call it a hard and fast rule. <laughs> you really... But I just did. <laughs> I just did. Um... I trust you. Um, but yeah, go on her Facebook page, obviously interact because she's always willing to interact and suggest some films that obviously like Barbarian Sound System, uh, Sound Studio are in the niche that not a lot of people might have known about because through discovering films with each other you actually get a bigger appreciation of the littler films i think that's a really good point because you know i like sharing films i like finding out about films even that i don't know about or that i might have never known about uh if it was not for other people talking about it so um definitely do that and i'll also say Last time I published an episode, we were only on SoundCloud, and we've now been accepted on iTunes. Uh, So you can also find us there, which means it makes it a lot more accessible to a lot more people. So uh, if you're listening, welcome, and hopefully you've enjoyed the show. If not, blame me. (laughs) You will be my scapegoat. (laughs) It wouldn't be the first one. I've been blamed by many a woman. (laughs) it's his fault yeah uh no (laughs) but obviously it has been great having you on the show again it's been lovely to speak to you as always i always enjoy our time chatting together and i appreciate you for inviting me back oh you know i always will we can't (laughs) stay away whether that's a good thing or a bad thing we'll find out eventually (laughs) very true All right, well, that's all for now. Thanks for listening, and if you like Screams and Moans Returns, don't forget to tell a friend. Feel free to post about us uh, and share our episodes. So I guess that's it for now. Bye! Toodaloo! Motherfucker. (laughs) You know you want to say that. (laughs) 